Welcome to Songs and Stories, the Not For Musicians Only music podcast. Welcome once again to Songs and Stories. My name is Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories, episode number 31. Yep, it's 31 if you're keeping up with these. And if you happen to be new to this podcast, because I think we have a few new listeners this time out, I want to thank you for checking this out, and I'll take a few moments here to kind of tell you how this little thing works. Uh, I'm a songwriter from Watsonville, California, and... um, a couple of times a month, I post this little half-hour file that's formatted like a radio show. And lately I've been doing, well, lately this Songs and Stories has kind of evolved into a an interview series with other songwriters and musicians, and it's been a lot of fun. If you check out my site, michaelgaither.com, you'll find people like Paul Thorne, the Waylon Jennings, Lacey J. Dalton, Keith Greninger, a real nice mix of Americana artists that I've been really blessed to be able to hang out with and visit with and occasionally get them to play a little bit of music and talk about where they've been and where they're going. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Since this is May and since the Strawberry Music Festival up in Yosemite is only a couple of weeks away, I thought it would be fun to interview or do a piece on a band that I first saw up at Strawberry a couple of years ago. Houston Jones is one of those Americana collectives that's It's a collection of a bunch of folks that play, write, and sing incredibly well. They all do it very well. And um, I was fortunate yesterday to have two of them come to my house, and uh, Chris Key and Travis Jones from Houston Jones. We sat around the kitchen table, talked for a while, and then Travis and Chris sat on my couch and played a couple of songs for the podcast. So it really wasn't a bad way to start my morning. We talked about, of course, the origins of the band, and if you're familiar with Houston Jones, you might know or might not know that uh, a few of them came out of the other Bay Area Americana collective known as the Waybacks, so that's kind of where a few of them came from. We talked about their new release, Calico Heart, which you have a chance to win by listening to this podcast, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And I also found out that um, Chris Key, who is pretty much the band's primary songwriter now, Although he has a degree in ethnomusicology and is a trained cellist, he plays bass in the band. Uh, He's their primary songwriter these days, but he really wasn't a songwriter until up till a few years ago. He had kind of a real life-changing experience, and I'll make you listen to the interview to find out what exactly happened and where the songs maybe have have come from. So we talked about that, and we, um, we got talking about a lot of what it's like to be an Americana artist and you know, moving it along and what might happen to music in the face of increasing gas prices and where people are putting their entertainment dollars. So we talked about a lot of things that we thought was interesting, and I hope you do too. So I want to let you know again how this thing works. On my site, michaelgaither.com, it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com, you'll find a little section on my main page that says Songs and Stories Notes for, or Songs and Stories number 31, the Houston Jones interview. There'll be a, a little blurb describing this, this, this interview, as well as links you can look to while you're listening to the show. There's links to Houston Jones' site, their, their CDs and some other things that we'll talk about during the course of this interview. And I think this is going to be a two-part interview. Um, we'll have them play songs in part two, so it'll be two, two separate files you can pull off my website. 
And um, as far as winning the CD, Calico Heart, their newest release, with songs mainly written by Chris Key. Travis Jones wrote one, and they co-wrote one as well. And their, I believe, keyboard player wrote another one. Is um, It's a great release, Americana. And if you want to win a copy, all you have to do is sign up on my mailing list or send me an email, michael at michaelgaither.com, or you can go to my website, michaelgaither.com, and click the contact link and sign up there. I'll take names throughout the month of May. And um, at the end of the month, I'll draw a name, and one lucky winner will win a copy of Calico Heart. So speaking of Calico Heart, why don't we hear a little piece of a song off that CD? Um, Before we talk with Travis and Chris, here's a little bit of a song that Chris wrote called Born in the Moonshine, off your latest release, Calico Heart. And then we'll sit around my kitchen table and talk with Travis Jones and Christopher Key. successful doing house concerts. Seems to be. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing, the, the, the house concert model uh, has two advantages for us. And, and number one, it seems to be that our demographic, <laughs> meaning folks that are probably above 40 yeah, and somewhere somewhere above, you know, below 70, <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, they seem to be the folks who run house concerts and mm-hmm. the attendees at house concerts. Mm-hmm. And even though we've played some, we've played some small spaces where normally they put 30, 40 people in. Sometimes these people have fit 50, 60, 70 in a small space like this, and they charge a decent enough ticket price where the musicians can get paid. And oftentimes they're they're generous enough to give us 100% of the proceeds. Yeah, that's so, pretty that's pretty common, isn't it? No, we've had a few with this in 80, 20, or 90, 10. Okay. They just they do a little bit of a split, but yeah. It's been real good for us, and they're very receptive. I mean, the audiences we've had at house concerts. Yeah, because I think that the the people that are putting them on have built up a sort of reservoir of goodwill, and yeah. that the people that come to them are assured that they're going to hear music that yep. that's good and that they like. Um, because there's a, I guess there's a commonality among them. Yeah, and I talked I talked about this in a couple of, of these these podcasts, and I'll, maybe I'll just send you a couple of links. But it seems like with with house concerts, it's a, it's a mix of people that always go to that house concert series because they're like like Marky when you're playing next mm-hmm. week. She has people that just go because Marky's putting on a house concert. Right. So it's a mix of that plus fans going for the particular artist plus people that are getting drugged to a house concert for the first time. And So what's, what, a house concert? Is it a party? No, it's not a party. It's a private... And um, I think it's just a, it's it's the right people that are all kind of like minded about the music. Yeah, I think that's really true. The, the yeah. like mindedness is the is the common denominator. Yeah. And, that's and not to focus too much on the monetary aspect, but but it is true that that we do far better. We do far better at house concerts, percentage wise, of CD sales to to attendance mm-hmm. than even we do at big festivals. Hmm. I mean, we do. You know, you you can always count on usually ten to fifteen percent of your audience 
at a festival or a fair or some mm-hmm. kind of concert situation. At house concerts, oftentimes we hit 20, 25, 30. We've even hit 50% before where we've had 100 people and sold, you know, 50 CDs. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's for artists, that's, that's how we can afford to... No, pay for four dollar a gallon gas. I was I was going to say now it's getting it's getting at this level it's getting more more critical because of gas prices just yeah. getting around. Yeah, I was yeah. talking with Peter Tucker, our drummer, yesterday. We were coming back from uh, we played out in Dixon yesterday, and uh, with Joe Craven. With Joe Craven, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. A blast. But uh, Peter was saying there's a guy that he plays with. It's a blues player um, that uh, he's got a, a V8 Mustang, and he doesn't he. He stopped playing outside of the Bay Area anymore because it's too expensive for him to drive yeah. the gigs. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of yeah. We want to go this year. We were talking about going back east to the uh, the um, Eastern Regional Folk Alliance uh, conference. It's being held in upstate New York. And we went last year to the National Folk Alliance in Memphis, and that cost us a pretty penny. And we're looking at it this year, and we're thinking, good goodness gracious, the cost of airline tickets. It may it may keep us from going because airline tickets you know you figure a, a five piece band with one or two support people mm-hmm. going all the way back east when it costs four hundred bucks a round trip ticket that's still a, that's a pretty penny but now it's gone up to five six hundred yeah for a round trip ticket that can be cost restrictive for us and may keep us out of you know going to to that that conference yeah and the old sort of like running joke about going on tour and hoping you break even now it's 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 a real critical. It's factor. no joke. It's no <laughs> joke. Bringing yeah. yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> lost leader tourists. Yeah. Unless you're way up the food chain, you know. If you're right. Way up the right. food chain, you don't have to worry about. If you're it playing big much. big halls yeah. and big venues, and but if you're trying to like build your audience, and I mean, you guys are pretty well established too. But in so, California, in California. this part of California, but yeah. there's a lot of music. Even though the San Francisco Bay Area is not, you know, an Americana uh, enclave, mm-hmm. you know, that there, there's a lot of music, a lot of competition, and I think the the, the Money crunch, and also the way people are spending their entertainment dollar. Right. I mean, there's a there's a wide variety of activities out there. A lot of which involves staying home for mm-hmm. some folks. And the older the demographic gets, I think the more the more people you know really pick and choose where they go and when they go. Right. So yeah, we're established, but we still have to we have to do a lot of PR to get people to come yeah. out. Well, like on a different, we went to the Rio Theater last night, and they had they, they were building it as the left wing guerrilla comedy tour with Johnny Steele, Will Durst headlined. Oh. And, and Johnny still was the, kind of the running gag was we're not really good at marketing because this is our tour and we're just playing here one <laughs> night. But it was Will Durst at the Rio. Will Durst, Goodness and he's like one of the he's one of the best. Should it, be sold out. It was maybe two hundred people. Ugh. Wow, wow. And tickets for only twenty bucks. I mean, I thought it was a bargain to see four comics all of that caliber. And, and I mean, Will Durst is someone who'd be on the Daily Show as far as yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah, and it, yeah. It's a war, very many very many people. Yeah. Well, we, we've you know. noticed a funny thing on the at least we think we've noticed a funny thing on the um, at at the festival level that I think because the industry is tightened up in a certain way mm-hmm. that the um, acts that are not really sort of genre appropriate are starting to poach on the Americana Preserve. Amen. So you have bands like, like we were in the running for the longest while, we ended up not getting selected, but for the Folk Fest, which is part of the Planet Bluegrass Empire, the people that do tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell Bluegrass. And yeah. um, the, the headliners are Katie Tunstall, who's a, sort of a pop person from England. Right. Jacob Dillon, you know, I mean, people that you would not normally associate with, with the, the Folk Fest, but I think because I think that the industry may have recognized that there is still 
money to be made at that level and that people buy CDs at that level that, uh, you know, as, as the CD dollars have sort of disappeared. And they have, uh, and those in particular have a slightly younger demographic. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. But again, the, the, the record companies aren't selling CDs the way they used to. Right. Yeah. The CD sales do come at festivals. People that attend and, festivals buy CDs. And yeah. merchandise and stuff, merchandise. which is a, another it's income It's a phrase that, that Barnett uses about people want to take the experience home, whether it's, mm-hmm. and I think that's that might be why at a house concert because it's more intimate because you're pretty much talking to the entire audience eye to eye. You know, they feel a connection. They want to take things home. Yeah. And maybe at a festival, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's it's the festival is definitely a. You're not just going to see music. You're yeah. going to the for the entire experience. Yeah, cause I've never bought a CD at like a rock concert. Yeah, but me it, neither. But it's straw- <laughs> that's and that's right. the thing about talking about strawberry earlier. Yeah. You go, you go to the mercantile tent. You talk to the artist. You thank him. You ask him a couple of questions. It's, you know, it's real, it's real personal. I think people more apt to. I know I am more apt to like want to buy something and take oh, yeah. it with them when it's at that level. I think yeah. that's right. Big concerts, though, I think I've never bought a CD at a big concert at a, you know something that's a 5,000, 10,000, a yeah. Concord Pavilion kind of thing. Right. But I'll buy a T-shirt. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I got a drawer full of those. Of course, they're $25 a piece now. <laughs> well, that's cheap. I've, I've I seen them going for 30 and 35 depending on the tour. You know? yeah. so. Let's talk about the band. So you're an original. You came from the Waybacks originally. Uh, that's right. I came okay. from the Waybacks, uh, and I had... Uh, I'd left the Waybacks. Uh, Peter Peter Tucker, who's the drummer with um, Houston Jones, mm-hmm. uh, and I both left the Waybacks. Uh, and I left, uh, I guess, maybe a year later than Peter and was uh, doing other stuff. Um, I was playing, I was in a band with my wife and um, a drummer named Scott Amendola. We had a trio that was a really remarkable thing. And I was playing with um, Jim Campolongo, who's a telecaster wizard uh but um those projects both uh, sort of fell apart well jim moved to new york and my wife decided she didn't want to play music anymore <laughs> and uh so uh, i i was freer than i had been in years and uh there was a uh, these guys were houston jones was already an ongoing mm-hmm. concern at that time and um their bass player had decided he didn't want to play um as much. He didn't yeah. want to play club gigs so much. He wanted to play the higher profile things. And uh, so they brought me in originally just to fill those, um, to do those those uh-huh. kinds of gigs. And one thing led to another, and I ended up taking over the bass chair in uh, in Houston Jones. And it, the, the interesting thing was that they were looking to, Houston Jones at that time was looking to uh, develop more original material. And I had just had something of a, a life-transforming experience or something that I had never been a songwriter before. And all of a sudden, my really, yeah, my songwriting gene got activated by gamma rays or something. And when uh, did it ever? And uh, so, I, I, you know, they were looking for a, a new bass player and they were looking for original material. Mm-hmm. And, and I, the the floodgates had just opened up for me, so the timing could not have been better. So, how long have you been writing songs? Well, I've written a few, you know, a handful over the course of my performing career, but I've really been writing uh, compulsively (laughs) now since, when did I start? After 2001. But when did I join Houston Jones? Oh, that's been three years now. Three or four years. So So it's pretty recent. Three or four years, yeah. 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 It's really how long I've been writing. Yeah, it was, was, I mean, I can tell you about the, what I, it wasn't, it was, it was kind of the, the, the transformative experience was uh, 
the the title cut of our last record is called Three Crow Town, and, and my wife, but wife and I were um, driving across country and um, had stopped in this tiny little town of Longford, Kansas, which is where my uh, uh, wife's grandparents had um, were born and raised and grew up and all this, and uh, and. Uh, we were coming back, driving back from the town, and we'd mm-hmm. gone to the house where he, her grandparents had lived, yeah. and stuff, and they're buried there. And, uh, and um, we're driving along Interstate 70. People that have seen us live have heard this story, but we're driving along Interstate 70, and uh, we had our dog with us. The dog's asleep in the back of the car, and my wife's asleep, you know, and there's a prairie thunderstorm building behind us. And it was as if someone opened up the top of my head and started pouring in a song. And I got back to the hotel room and uh, scribbled down the lyrics and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think I ha- may have had the there's a signature guitar lick that I'm I might have had that already but that was from that point on it was as if someone had turned on the faucet and. I mean, it's more like turn on a fire hose. So I, should, <laughs> so I should look for bad weather in Kansas and go on a road trip. That's right. That's the, that's the key. That's the key. Uh, that and maybe have been in the World Trade Center on 9-11. Well, yeah, that, well, that was... That, I, I'm, okay, keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> well, that, that, that might have been the, the actual... That was the life-changing experience uh, you were kind of... That was a life... Well, we had, my wife and I had... Uh, the 2001 was a very interesting year for us because we were... We were robbed at gunpoint in front of our house in June of 2001, and I got hit on the head. This is in Oakland. In Oakland, yeah, I hit on the head with a pistol and staples put in my head and all this stuff. And and um, so and then later later that same year, later that summer in September, um, I was back in New York playing a gig with this guy Jim Campolongo. And, um, you know, I've got a day job and stuff. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll stay in a nice hotel within walking distance of the gig. The gig mm-hmm. was at the Knitting Factory in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I um, stayed at the uh, World Trade Center Marriott. And our gigs were uh, September 10th, 2001, September 11th, 2001, and September 12th, 2001. And so I was in the in the World Trade Center Marriott when the uh, when the planes hit, and uh, I I got out but barely, and uh, so um, yeah, that was you know I I would not be surprised if that wasn't uh, an experience that sort of jarred loose some sort of creative mm-hmm. impulse. I mean, it definitely opened up something, you know, a window into a into a darker world. That's yeah. for sure, and and to the extent that. You know, creative impulse comes from, you know, some dark, unconscious side. I mean, dark. I don't mean dark in the evil sense, but dark in the mysterious mm-hmm. sense. And uh, and something uh, unexpected you weren't looking for. Uh, uh, ex- yeah, <laughs> not, not hardly. <laughs> <laughs> not hardly. Not hardly. So uh, yeah. yeah. So that was. Um, and actually, I had a, a. There's a song again on the Three Crow Town records. It's interesting. Where. We have a new record, but I'm talking about the old record. Uh, but there's a song on that record that uh, was definitely came out of that experience when I was driving back um, cross country. Um, the song called is called Things Unseen. Things Unseen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was driving through. Uh, I gotta pick up that record. It's pretty yeah. good. It's, it's a pretty good. Cool pretty cool record. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good album. Yeah, yeah. but I was driving. I'll buy the Marquis next week. <laughs> Pardon me. I'll, I'll buy the Marquis. Okay, next week. Uh, but uh, we were. I was. 
leaving western Nebraska mm-hmm. and, and into eastern Wyoming, you know, where the high plains start to break up into the, you know, that butte country and stuff. And I had something akin to a, a vision about the about just the, the landscape, and it spoke to me in a certain way, and then the song came out of that. But I didn't write the song until years later, but the idea of it uh, came to me then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, so then, you know, so the floodgates had opened up mm-hmm. at the time that I uh, joined the band, and it... And they remain so. Yeah. So you're still yeah. writing at that pace. I mean, you're still getting songs. I have a backlog, a serious backlog, yeah. when we, I'm writing them faster than we can learn them. Yeah. That's I, good. I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very good. I, I think I contributed two or two and a half songs to Three Crow Town. Uh-huh. And for this new album, Calico Heart, Chris and I co-wrote a song. I saw it. Henry uh, Salvia, our keyboard and accordion player, wrote one song. The rest are Chris's. And I got a burst of, of inspiration here back uh, the late part of 2007, and I went away to the Russian River and, and, and locked myself in a room for three or four days and came up with about a half a dozen tunes, of which we're working on two to three right now. But Chris has a backlog of half a dozen or eight songs that we haven't got to yet. So we've got a full another full album worth... Sitting there. In yeah, a notebook. sitting there. Yeah, yeah waiting, waiting to be worked on. And the next project... It's quite likely going to be, and our, our fans have been begging us for this for a long time, it's going to be a gospel album that includes probably three-quarters of the material. I asked, we, I think, yeah, your wife, or your, when you guys played Strawberry and they did the gospel set, yeah, yeah. I said, do they have a gospel album? You, so you probably get a lot of requests we for do. that. Because with, with, with your the voice and the kind of music you play, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 the driving force. We, we keep being asked that. We keep, we, we've been telling people for a couple of years now, yeah. well, of course we're going to do a gospel album, and we haven't. But we made the decision last week in a business meeting to... To make that the focus probably of our next album will be a, a Houston Jones gospel album that will have about, like I said, probably 75%, seven or eight songs will be original tunes, and then a couple of, uh, of highly requested, mm-hmm. uh, very obscure gospel tunes we're going to put on it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we we got we played at the Sisters Festival up in Oregon two years in a row, and mm-hmm. we played the we played the gospel set the first year they have they, it's like Strawberry they have a yeah. gospel night on Sunday too. morning yeah. actually that was quite a show we did it with Ruthie I've got to get up there oh, oh it's a, it's yeah, a, I've heard nothing yeah, but our first, our first, yeah, it's a great it's a great 2006 great we show. played with Ruthie Foster she was the headliner wow. for the gospel show and we had her up for a couple of tunes during our set and then she brought us up for her set and it was a transcendent experience I'm mm-hmm. telling you it was uh, we had 2,000 people that were they were they were on fire yeah they were there was um then last year we played and there was a, a, a Keith Greninger uh, I think opened the show um Olabel Olabel closed, closed the show, show yeah it was a good gospel they're show. awesome yeah, yeah there was something yeah. yeah but I I started to say though that we were because we had we had done our our like gospel set the first mm-hmm. year and then we had a new we were doing it again and we didn't want to do the same stuff so the I ended up writing um, a couple two yeah. two original you know original gospel tunes yeah. Um, that are probably going to end up on the That'll make it on the album. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, very cool. Have you ever covered I don't, Live Forever, the Billy Joe Shaver song? Was that you or someone no. else? It was someone else. No. Anyway. no. Love Billy Joe Shaver, though. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned a day job. So what's it like juggling? Because you guys have a pretty pretty rigorous playing schedule. You tour, how often do you tour? How often do you play in the Bay Area? And we, we don't like juggling day jobs with... Well, you know. we, don't, we don't do national touring that much. We, mm-hmm. we do, you know, yeah, it's like festi- festival stuff. Yeah. 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 But we don't, we haven't like done the, you know, coast to coast kind of thing. We go up and down the coast. So it's more in f- during festival season? Yeah. Mm-hmm. April or May through about September. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's, um, 
I basically just don't sleep and wait yeah. to my wife in the hallway as I'm in and out, going in and out the door, you know. <laughs> as, as this band has progressed, more and more of the band members have, have either retired or semi-retired. Mm-hmm. Chris is not ready to do that yet. He's uh, He has a serious daytime job. Yeah. But the rest of us have taken... I saw your email address. I'm like, oh, he's smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well. well, if I was smart, I wouldn't be working. <laughs> yeah. But we're all, we're all fortunate enough. The ones who uh, do have either part-time or full-time jobs are fortunate enough to have been on the job long enough or have enough clout. They can take the time off to go for a week somewhere. Yeah. We went to Oregon for, gosh, I think we were there for eight, ten days. Yeah. But, but Chris wasn't there. We had some recording stuff to do for another, uh, another artist up mm-hmm. in... Um, uh, not Crescent City. What's it called? Uh, Brookings. Brookings. Yeah. So we went. For, we played Sisters. We were there for three days, and then drove across and played another concert, and then did some recording for four four days or so, mm-hmm. four or five days. So some of us can get away for a couple weeks at a time. Nice. Others of us have to fly in, play a couple of <clears throat> gigs, fly back, and then fly back, back again. Yeah. yeah, that's Chris's situation most of the yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, although my my boss is he's the Buddha of the law. He's a very mm-hmm. enlightened guy. And, uh, and, and every, it's interesting because a, a, a lot of people that I work with, you know, used to play an instrument when they were younger. And it's, mm-hmm. Oh, I wish I kept it, you know, kept at it in there. Yeah. So everyone's, it, it's just a, everyone's very open-minded about it. So it's not hard to do. And I've recruited as like Travis was saying, I've got enough sort of goodwill built up and, and, that helps. and vacation days. And, about, uh, you know, yeah. So, and yeah. burn the midnight oil for those folks. I mean, you sometimes put in lots of time. I mean, yeah. I mean, th- th- I'm embarrassed to say this, and I may ask you to delete this, but I'll bring work with me on the road, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of stuff. And I was going to say, do you work during? Do you bring your laptop work at night it, to keep caught up? Yeah, I mean, I try to. Usually, that if we're going to be out of town for any length of time, it's I know about it far enough in advance that I can clear the deck. You can juggle your work and schedule. Yeah, but you know, more often than not. Catastrophe! Some fire flames up, and I'm things happen. Yeah, I'm called to put it out. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> so let's talk about Calico Heart. Okay, How, it's okay. your fourth release. That's yes. right. And you've done three plus the, the live album with Chojo. Three, uh, yeah, three plus the live album. The live mm-hmm. album was before Chris came on board. Okay. And the live album with uh, Chojo was called Hojo Mojo with mm-hmm. Chojo. And uh, that was recorded at a variety of, of clubs. I think we did the Espresso Garden, the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley, mm-hmm. a radio show, and something else. But we combined those into a live recording. Was there a Please Stand By cut on our side? There is a Please Stand yeah, By so from K-Pig. One, one, That's two. always fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those yeah, guys we, are here. We, we love going down and doing Please Stand By for K-Pig. That's a fun album, though. And that, really, that, that captured, back five years ago, that captured... What our live performance was and still is in some ways, mm-hmm. but by far Three Crow Town and Calico Heart, those are those are wonderful albums, great songs. I think great playing by everyone. Has some fun uh, special guests that came on mm-hmm. board for that one. So, and that uh, Calico Heart, uh, I mean uh, Three Crow Town was actually where we actually got to really really uh, incorporate Chris. Not just his songwriting, but his playing, mm-hmm. and it's where we discovered Henry Salvia, our keyboard player and accordion player. He came in to do just a few cuts. And ended up. How did he put it when we were uh, out of town the other day? He said, uh, "Oh, it's, I can't remember what it." He said, uh, "He said I was able to worm my way worm in. my way into the band." Yeah. <laughs> and he said that the reason he wanted to join the band was based on the song Three Crow Town." He says, "When I played really? Three Crow Town on the album, he played accordion on, mm-hmm. on it." He says, "I knew I wanted to be in this band." Wow. You know, so just pretty sweet, you know, as a, yeah. as a songwriter to have a guy uh-huh. who says, "I mean, I don't know." Henry is 
is as remarkable a musician as I've ever had the oh, yes. pleasure to play with. I mean, he's he's not just a great soloist; he's just a fabulous musician. Mm-hmm. And to have somebody like that say that, it was very and just a nice guy, endearing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nice guy. So yeah, that's we have four albums: one live and three studio albums. And Calico Heart just uh, just came out. Actually, has a, a street release date. I think next month. Yeah, Ooh. it's been around for a, yeah, it's for a little bit, bit, but we're not we're not. It's not actually officially street released yet mm-hmm. until next month. We have a, a distribution company that's gonna oh good put it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep nice. our fingers crossed. This was um, Calico Heart was uh, a, a step up in a way from um, Three Crow Town. We did Three Crow Town at uh, our Glenn Houston, the guitar player's house. He has a mm-hmm. very Sophisticated uh, Pro Tools home home studio setup. I mean, it, it, great mics. Great yeah, I mean, it's really it's 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 unbelievable. It's it's a it's a, it's a pro studio quality. It's not, it's not an amateur. Studio. Yeah, it's not yeah. an amateur yeah. do it yourself kind of thing. Not hardly. Great studio. But we recorded um, Calico Heart at uh, OTR Studios, which is Cookie Marenko's uh, studio in Belmont, and we did it on two inch tape. And um, wow. I mean, you know, it was old school. Was Probably say, getting a yeah. lot of stuff is uh, all of us playing together live in the same room. Um, I mean, we really uh, it, it, the the production values on it. I mean, it's interesting because it, it, in in terms of the um, arrangements and stuff, it's it, it's very much like what we do live. It's, I was it's say, just it probably a, five, has a real live filter. Yeah, it's a five or six of us playing. Whereas Three Crow Town, there was a lot of a lot more overdubs, mm-hmm. and uh, but because the uh, the quality of the 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 recording quality, because Cookie is a world class engineer, mm-hmm. and uh, Grammy nominated, and has worked with you know people such as Jean Luc Ponty and, and Max and, Roach, uh, all the Daryl Anger, Mike Marshall, company. those Tony guys, Furtado, yeah. I mean, gosh, yeah. You were in good hands. Uh, yeah, we were absolutely. But the the just integrity of the sound was such that it, it was it, it sounded big and full enough that it, there was no need to you know like sometimes Wait. you'll do a recording and say man it just sounds it needs something yeah it's the, it needs I need something. A, I need yeah. another guitar here yeah. you know I need a fill here and, yeah. and the cookie in this, in this particular uh, environment that we recorded in and her style of recording we would listen back after doing just basic tracks and. Oftentimes we would say to ourselves, "It needs nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It needs nothing. It works. We're done. It works. Yeah. yeah. Let's just work on mixing it down." You know? yeah. So um, yeah, so that was really really exciting. And the focus uh, uh, when we did Three Crow Town, it was a very eclectic album. We were we were actually presented with a, a quite a dilemma. We had so many songs that we had uh, put put down tracks. Uh, we had a lot of tunes more than you would actually usually put on an album. Mm-hmm. And we did our best to try to make decisions about what songs would make it, what songs would be cut. And I think we ended up putting 15 yeah. songs. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Three Crow Down. Yeah, well, we just couldn't. We, you know, it came we down. We couldn't say no. We couldn't say no. And it's very, very eclectic. Whereas Calico Heart, I think it has more focus. I think Calico Heart is really focused. If the focus is on the, the lyrics mm-hmm. more, more than it is trying to be super eclectic, there's, there's a real focus on bringing out the lyrics of each song. And I was going through just the clips, and it seems like it has a real consistent kind of tone to it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it definitely does because it's the, the and it's just as Travis says, Cookie's Cookie, her guiding rule was the the song and Travis's voice, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so the I mean she just fell I mean as as we all do she fell in love with Travis's voice and. Uh, 
so that became a, a real focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 Cookie's very song oriented. She's been the, the one of the song judges at the songwriting contest at Telluride for mm-hmm. years okay. and stuff like this. I mean, she's she's really into songs as songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I mean, that was very gratifying for me, obviously, to have the producer saying, "Let's focus on the song." Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so. Um, so that so you definitely hear that, and you you picked up on exactly the the consistency yeah. of the tone. There was a in a very 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 good way. Yeah, in a very yeah. good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, and because the songs themselves are, I mean, they're because they came from me. Most of them, there there is a I guess a, a similar sensibility to them, but stylistically they're very different. Mm-hmm. And but it still it doesn't sound. Like we're all over the road as a mm-hmm. band. I mean, it's it's it, there's there's a, a an, like an, an integrity to it, not in the you know not in the moral sense, but mm-hmm. in the in the structural sense. Yeah. The, uh, Oftentimes, you hear an album uh, by a band or an artist, and you, you'll you'll hear that album, you hear song to song, and it sounds like different groups are playing. Mm-hmm. It could be different bands, mm-hmm. and a Calico Heart that that's not present. It sounds like it sounds like us. Yeah. We can we can reproduce. I would I would venture to say we can reproduce everything yeah. on Calico Heart without using tricks, without using yeah. anything else. We can we can play it exactly like the album. Yeah, cause, and that on the Three Crowd Town, that's not that's, that's not, not the true. case. There are fifteen <laughs> songs, and, and there are certain songs that I don't think we've ever played live. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the song with the, with, with the cello trio on it, and uh, you know the song that six part vocal harmonies. <laughs> there's, the, there's a song that Chris wrote that almost didn't make the cut, and I was one of the producers on Three Crow Town. And I remember listening to Chris's ideas, and I said, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's just too big. There's no way we can put three cello parts mm-hmm. and a bowed bass part and four to six vocals and build this thing up. And, and Chris kept lobbying me, and I, I, I saved the email. And he said, Travis, just, just let me just talk to you about this. So I've got a four or five paragraph email that talked about his vision for mm-hmm. the song. And he says, I know you, you have doubts about how this thing can be produced, but... I'd like you to try. So then after he put all the parts down, after we all put the parts down, we started going through it and, and mixing them together. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of track on that one cut, Carried Away. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And after Chris told me the story about the song, which I'm not going to relate here, uh, someone will have to ask us live about... Uh, at Marky's next week. At Marky's <laughs> next week. Ask us about Carried Away, which we're going to start uh, doing in live performance. And it'll, it'll, there's no way it can have three cello parts. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, Chris can I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, an ac- I'm an accomplished cellist, but I ain't dead. Yeah. So, That's three more folks to fly to Nashville. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. folks in but, but that was one of the situations where, yeah, there was lots of... There was, there was doubts about that song, but after, after hearing Chris's story, and then after hearing... How he wanted those parts put down. We could not help but put that song on the album. So you got your way. Pardon me. You got your way. I did get my way. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, these guys are so open-minded about about those kinds of things. I mean, I got it. I mean, the cello part that I wrote. I mean, I had in mind like a kind of you know Samuel Barber eight tonal mm-hmm. you know heartache kind of thing, and so it was not something that would be immediately digestible mm-hmm. in the. <laughs> <laughs> you know the the standard Americana record and stuff, but it but it it worked out great. Yeah. So, well, why don't we hear a couple of things from Calico Heart? Okay. okay. Cool. So nine eleven is where Chris was at after he discovered he could write songs. That was the story I wanted you to hear. 
So that was Travis Jones and Christopher Key of Houston Jones. This is part one of the interview, and I hope you enjoyed it. I want to remind you again that uh, to win a copy of Calico Heart, sign up on my mailing list. Go to michaelgather.com and click on the contact link, and I'll take names there. And I also wanted to mention, if you're already on my mailing list, um, just send me an email, michael at michaelgather.com, and put Houston Jones in the subject line, and I'll enter you in the drawing as well. But we're not done yet. That was part one. That was the interview. And what we're going to do now is move from the kitchen table over to my living room and hear Chris and Travis do a couple of songs. One is the title cut off Calico Heart. The other one is a new song that's slated for a gospel release, hopefully later this year. So we're not done yet. Go ahead and click on the second link and we'll get going with part two of this interview with Christopher Key and Travis Jones from Houston Jones. If you have any comments about this particular episode, you can send me an email, michael at michaelgather.com, or just click on the um, add comment link for this podcast, and um, I'd appreciate hearing from you. Thanks for listening, and uh, stay tuned and click on part two. <laughs>